Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. We're so happy to have uh, Words Uncaged here tonight. It's a creative platform created by the men of A Yard California State Prison, Lancaster and Cal State LA professor, Dr. Bidan Chandra Roy. Its purpose is for incorporated artists, writers, students, and poets to critically, critically engage with readers, for those readers to, uh, to rethink who incarcerated men and women are, and to imagine alternatives to our current system of mass incarceration in the United States. Um, without further ado, I'll just hand it off to you guys and let you guys take the stage. So thank you. Set this up here. Can everybody hear me? All right. My name is Jose Cubillas. I'm a graduate student at Cal State LA, and I work uh, with Words Uncaged. Uh, I started it maybe like three years ago. Uh, I found out about the program on campus, and I walked into a, a meeting, and it seemed very, like a very free free thing to join. Dr. Roy just said, hey, you, you're in this meeting, you're part of it now. And we just started working uh, with some writing from Lancaster Prison, as um, our announcer uh, mentioned, that the, the program began in uh, Lancaster State Prison here in California. Uh, the men in A-Yard and Dr. Roy got together and they had this idea of kind of reimagining what uh, it means to be incarcerated or what um, kind of the views people have on incarceration. And um, from, from that work, uh, a lot of great things have happened. Uh, one that happened recently that maybe Tobias could talk about uh, uh, later. Uh, and for this, for this reading, we're gonna have uh, Tobias Tubbs Joanna Diaz and uh, George Sanchez, who isn't here yet, but uh, hopefully he makes it. Uh, they're gonna be reading from uh, their, their books and also from Human, with the first journal uh, that uh, Words on Cage produced. Um, now, a little bit about that work from the journals. The, the first journal, which is behind me here, Human, was produced uh, about two years ago and it was uh, the first attempt that, that uh, Words Uncaged uh, put out to kind of give voice to these men who had been kind of silenced by this criminal justice system. And it, when I started working on it, it's kind of seemed like a far-fetched idea to me, to be honest. It's, I'm gonna receive uh, writings from men in prison and help them kind of develop their writing so that they can have a dialogue with people outside here in, in the community around us. And I thought, what a great idea. Um, I've, I've heard things similar to this before, but uh, I didn't realize kind of the impact it would make especially knowing now that one of the guys who I would correspond with is now sitting in front of me right here. He was 
uh, a life without parole inmate at Lancaster Prison. And he, he had an idea of, you know, being able to get out and I'm glad to be able to be a part of that idea along with Dr. Roy's idea. And yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the things that we do in Words Uncaged is just, it's kind of a, well, my job has been just in the writing. I'm helping Dr. Roy and Tobias uh, kind of write, write a book as I'm helping uh, Tobias uh, in that journey to write that book. Uh, George Sanchez, who isn't here yet, uh, I'm helping him with his uh, uh, kind of collect all of his poetry. Uh, and also there's a, a guy in Calpatria State Prison, um, Justin Kirk, who's uh, also writing a book and I'm helping him out too in some of the edits. Um, is George here? I don't want to start without, I don't want to keep going without George. Um, but um, I'll just introduce the first, the first reader. And if you guys have any more questions about Words Uncaged, you guys could ask them towards the end. Um, and the first reader will be Joe. <laughs> So it's Joanna, Joanna Diaz, and uh, she was incarcerated as a juvenile. And uh, Ray, who's par also part of uh, Words Uncaged, and he's walking around right now with his backwards Words Uncaged hat. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he had an organization called All Knock Tomorrow that helped juveniles uh, kind of do something similar to what Words Uncaged does, which is produce books. Uh, in order to express themselves. And uh, Joanna Diaz has uh, produced this book, which is amazing. And if you get a chance uh, to get a copy of it, please do so. So without further ado, Joanna Diaz. Hi, everybody. Like he said, my name is Joanna Diaz. And what I am going to be reading today is called, give me one second. The Girl in Orange and Chains. Every time I leave this facility, I'm dressed in orange, looking more like a pumpkin than a young girl. I look down and I'm in chains. On my way to the hospital, I enter the hospital. Handcuffs on my hands and feet, walking with probation staff. Everybody stops what they're doing and they just stare at me. I know they're judging me. All they see is a young girl in orange, all chained up, already assuming I killed 56 people, I kidnapped little kids. All these vicious things are going through their heads. When they see me, they grab their children, tell them not to look at me, like somehow I could hurt them with my stare. I sit down and the two seats next to me are empty. A lady walks in, scanning the room, looking for an empty seat. Well, in the empty seat that's not next to the girl in orange, because I'm in chains, so I must be a monster. I look at her, and I can see the way she's looking at me with eyes of disgust. When they look at me, they see a criminal. But look again, look closely, and maybe you'll see all the things I see. I say everything's okay. I hide the hurt with a smile. I got so used to pretending. For such a long time, I was numb. 
I was so numb. I was like a zombie. I was walking around having so much stuff being tossed at me, but I didn't care because I couldn't feel anything. A young girl forced to grow up too fast. I've seen things. Things are so horrible to a human's eyes, and I've heard things. Things I wish I could forget. I closed my eyes and started daydreaming. But when I open my eyes, I'm still in this hospital. I know they are judging me, but they don't know me. They just see a young girl in orange who's in chains, so I must be a monster. But they don't see a young girl that just made some mistakes. So, so thank you. I am going to be reading one more that I recently wrote. Ever since a youngin, I had visions of making a big, big house, nice view, good vibes, counting millions. While here my stomach continued growling, I tried thinking of something else, of some better days. I started, I started running amok in the streets, ducking cops, hugging blocks, breaking laws, getting home just to walk right back out. My ears could no longer tolerate the hate being said, slammed the door, ran back to the streets, closed my eyes. Wake up, sitting in Central Juvenile Hall. Time passes. I start getting older. Go to court. Get out. But some things never do change, do they? Time passes. I go home. I continue ducking them cops, hugging those blocks that didn't love me and breaking all the rules. And then let's cycle. Oh, I sure did know it too well. Go to court. A monster that's a danger to a community is what the DA keeps saying I am. Holidays pass by, getting ready for another lonely birthday. I think it's my, what, third one? I became a slave to the system. Not only am I a prisoner in real life, but in my mind as well. I'm captive and I'm yelling for someone to come rescue me. No one seems to hear me, though. It was a they like any other, and so I thought because in the snap of a finger, my whole life would change. My heart grew angry as I saw the blood and the bruises. I looked up and I cursed at the very same one that created me. I remember when I became enslaved to the very same drug I swore never to touch. But as I remember all those things, I know it was all for a purpose. At the time, it's what broke me, but now I thank God because it only made me stronger. Now I can look back and say that I made it. Now it's my turn to get back. Now it's my turn to make a difference. Now it's my turn to tell them kids they can make it. The things that broke me are the very same thing that keep me, that keep me going today because now there's no going back. The cracks on the sidewalk are filled with innocent bloodstains and broken dreams that were once alive. Gangsters standing in the corner protecting the neighborhood. Soldiers fighting in the gang warfare, graffiti on the walls. Welcome to LA where if you ain't with the activities you consider sucker or mark, where people post guns on social media and incriminate themselves. Welcome to LA where life ain't no game and bullets have no name. Where the streets ain't no good, but nobody want to hit them books. Where change is possible, but nobody want to put in the work. Where we give up when things get hard, but then complain because things remain the same. Welcome to LA, where 
not many survive. We're not many make it, but we're making it. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Joanna. It looks like George Sanchez made it. Where you at, George? Are you ready? Give him a hand. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody's doing good. Uh, my name is George Sanchez, and this is a little piece I wrote specifically for this event. And it's, uh, it's how I feel right now. It's some of my new stuff from my new book coming up, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Tune it down. Slow. Thank you. Tune it down just a little bit. Thank you. The plan, ah, I need to start. I, I apologize, I, was, I got mixed up. <laughs> Before the art, play the saxophone for me, will you, please? Thank you. Tune it down. Slow, thank you. The planet Jupiter in the orbit like the rest of the planets in the Milky Way galaxy. It orbits as many do in the universe. As so, as so it comes to the orbiting of a breath, a heart, the air, the thought, the mind of Mercury. The smell of the war, I fight. The smell of hell, I burn. The scars, and I cannot deny to you my battles or attempt to cower from exposing more of sharing what was in the heart of this mortal who preached, who drank blood and swam in venom to feel cleansed. Oh, oh, how confusion was upon those from smoke and poison in glass bottles and poison in soda bottles, plastic cups with poison from a thing called liquor, wars with winds and battles with losses, tattoos on bald heads, tattoos on chins, tattoos on necks, on faces, on top of eyebrows, tattoos on arms, on hands, on chests, on backs, on shoulders, on stomachs. With words like love, I used. With words like hope, I used. With words of hatred and revenge, I have demonstrated. Confused and in fear, as a crow is black. Like the hood, the hood of death. But so is the paint that mixed and gave more of life to the flowers, the garden, than devastation and tragedy. Now we can't pick a rose for our mothers because the life we loved that brought us air so we can move and share. And nightmares, nightmares of the endless night, bones endlessly broken, I awoke, I awoke in sweat. Memories, memories of the riots, flashbacks. I awake traumatized and violent. Memories and flashbacks of the mountains I had to hike. 
with a 40-pound pack to prove to a fire chief I was capable of becoming a firefighter. Awake, traumatized, and paranoid. Stare in the reflection of my shadow. There is hope. Stare up to Jupiter and know that planet is motivation. The planet came to me as a letter, a spoken piece of a unique tribute to Homer, the first poet. The planet inspired when my eyes struggled with pride holding back emotion, but you were able, you were able to make unconfirmed. There was some gloss to my eyes. There was some secrets to my eyes. And those secrets were only tears that my pride wouldn't express as a cry. It wouldn't. Trapped to only set a laughter of real as a goal as Harley sits. And I'm seduced as Harley Quinn and tattoos is seduction through the approval of fate. Missions. Missions to complete. And the cross on Harley is completing the thoughts of possibilities. And to Jupiter's view, I am tiny. I am small. I am a belonging to the fire. I am a blessing as the fire is a blessing to me. I appreciate. Like air is a need for the life fire needs. A need. Air blesses fire. Fire blesses air. Sweaty and tired, I fear. And come to be the author of the tattoos on the beauty. And I am in tremendous liking, tremendously interested of the tattoos. And what makes me to sense, after coming to God on knees with thorns, coming to like Carly, coming to constantly view the universe in the perspective of war and knowledge, and curiosity, curiosity being misused, confusion being misused, ideas and opinions causing both, of war and the types of laws we obey, we hail and we live to listen to. Hail to the love, deep in trance, and write a story, express interest, and fall to shyness. But the like for the mistress of laughter, the tattoos, is tremendous. Close to R&B, close to oldies, close to opera, close to jazz, hardly is the R&B. My life is an opera, and Jupiter is the jazz. My art is a riddle, and my heart to speak is a dance. God has prayers through my words. The ghettos I stood in, the alleys I ran in, the bridges, the L.A. River that I crossed to escape chaos and failure. My voice was with the mics and papers. Ask me why I favored Tupac. And ask me why did I claim myself to be a demon when I was 11. Hope is set. And I climb. The revolution I voiced. I voiced angry folks who asked for justice, voiced a rebellion, 
My redemption was the answer for many others and their prayers. Meditated in the hole. Meditated on lava. Meditated during echoes and yells. Ask. Ask hardly for me. Express to hardly for me. Give hardly to the oasis for me. And put me as a hope. Put me as a success. Shapes of cubes and triangles. But the shape of devotion is that what runs blood in my body through veins. I will be the poet of downtown. The sadness to those and the hero for the youth when I was a baby without freedom. When I sang and I wrote, sometimes it rhymed, sometimes it did not. Dipped my brush in the color hazel and added, made a, a mural off the single color. I called the mural February. My attention on Harley. Ask Harley for me. Give Harley to blessings for me. Give the ink the tattoos for me. Give to me inked R&B, the mistress, so I can have the goal of laughter, of happiness checked off. This is the modern day expression, modern day thought process. This is today for me. This is tomorrow for me. Danger and falling in shock because Harley is causing the attraction of passion. And looking to Jupiter, you feel like you are betraying another emotion of yours. Ask Harley for me. Off labor and sweat, off boxes and sweat, ask Harley Quinn for me. The mistress of laughter, the tattooed music, the inked R&B. The tattooed rhymes because even the glances have a melody. I came to the crowd as a poet. Came to you as Machiavelli. Came to you as a rebel. Came to you as an activist. And I shared with you my revolution. Gave you insight to the hardly in my head. And the planet Jupiter that orbits Mercury as its devotion and motivation. Tattoos as stories giving you hardly giving you me. I eased pain. Shook hands with other men and said, it was a pleasure doing time with you, my boy. Paroled, roamed for a job, and got to feel defeated. Got to feel defeat. Brothers, even Italy, Sicily, knew the struggle. We shook hands. I came to make eye contact. My eyes went with Jupiter's. And that's the more ambition, the motivation needed to get employed, get to the artist destiny drew me to be in the era of civilians, gangsters, and politicians. Sweat, I pushed. Beaten, I swore. Defeated, I promised. Dipped again in hazel color, calling the second mural May and October. Ask Harley for me. Ask her for me. I was blue, I remember. I was before a hammer and a judgment, I remember. Ask for Harley. Permit Harley for me. Ask for the ink. Permit the tattoos for me.
This is an opera. Tennessee Williams can't compliment. Shakespeare can't nod. This is an opera. The instrument used to make this is a saxophone. Be in tune to gold, we all are. Being turned to gold through my opera and the saxophone playing. I spoke as George. I shared with you the letters that are literal settings I visit. Waited for Jupiter. Spoke to Jupiter as it orbited. Jupiter orbits Mercury. Harley Quinn is a riddle. Is a riddle I am fearful of because I want Need to figure because I'm interested. Today, tomorrow, the present, I dipped my brush in hazel color. Today, tomorrow, the present, the grass misses the lioness being on its ground. Today, tomorrow, the present, the future, you were able to listen to a real saxophone, a real saxophone play. And that is what you just heard. That is what you just heard by George Sanchez titled Harley's Tattoos in Jupiter's Orbit. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, George. Um, now, I met, I met George through his writing first, the same way I met, met Tobias. Uh, Ray, who is somewhere around here, there he is, hiding in the back. He handed uh, Dr. Roy and then got it, got it to Eleanor, another grad student that works with Words Uncaged. And then it was handed to me, and I, ha I still have half of it, actually. <laughs> uh, we're going through it, um, trying to make uh, his third book happen. Um, but... Um, I was tasked with finding a few poems to put into the second journal, which is Disconnect, Reconnect. And uh, so if you're interested in, in uh, reading some more of George's poems, there are a few that are found in this, in this journal. And he also has another book that is here, right? Ray, is it still here? It's sold out, actually, apparently. So <laughs> when it's back in stock, just look up George Sanchez in the poetry section. And uh, yeah, and Joanna's too. And uh, now I'd like to introduce uh, Tobias Tubbs. All right, Tobias. Uh, thank you. Uh, every day I'm fortunate to share the microphone with Johanna and George. It's very emotional for me. I spent three decades in prison. And within those decades, that orange and those shackles, you know, there's a femininity that was not able to be expressed. You know, that environment, it uh, stifles and suppresses and uh, disturbs and destroys and intoxifies or whatever the case might be. So when I see my sister and I'm up here doing her stuff, uh, it gives me a greater sense of warmth and appreciation for those years in which I wasn't able to do mine. And when I see my young bro 
knowing he went in at a very young age and he's able to still experience his 20s out here. Oh my God, you know, I'm almost 50. So when I see you at age of 20, be able to get out, bro, uh, it's always humbling. Uh, my name is Tobias Tubbs, and my father introduced me to books at the age of seven. We was in a place called Lamert Park, and he curated my bedroom uh, with hundreds of books. And he said, son, books are revolutionary. Son, books are means of uh, escape and coping. He said, son, books is what you would have to have a relationship with. So when I met Bathan Roy, it was after about 23 years of incarceration with a death sentence. They told me I was going to die, and they meant it, but I didn't believe it. So he said, we're going to produce something. And this is one of many things me and Bethan and our brothers and sisters who joined us produced. It's in a book called Human. It's one thing I figured out very quickly when you were in court as a young person. I was an uh, adolescent offender, a youthful offender, they called me then, 1991. You go from a name, Tobias Tubbs, then you go to a number, 876464. And then as technology advanced, and we didn't, we became barcodes. So we don't even need you to speak anymore. You just grabbed your little ID and they scan you like a bag of Oreos or something. Oh, I felt it was quite disrespectful. The high went from a human being <laughs> to a number, to a barcode. So when Roy said, we're gonna give you all a platform to speak, for you have light, and that light deserves to be shared in humanity, I believed him, I believed him. Why? I don't know. Maybe I needed someone to believe in at that point in my life. So this is what we've uh, produced. This is on page uh, 100. It's called Critical Pedagogue 1. As you look at page 101, I'm just going to read a paragraph or two, and then I'll explain the importance of this paragraph in this book. So Dr. Roy introduced me to critical pedagogy as a power and paradigm shifter. He clearly explained our rehabilitation as proof of the importance of a higher education. Through education, we must speak our narratives in our unique voice. Dr. Rohr further explains it is a privilege for Cal State University, Los Angeles, to give us a platform. It is our obligation to put in the work of humanizing ourselves and dispelling all stigmas, stereotypes, and misinformation, clouding our journeys of transformation. When I tell Dr. Roy my entire Pino experience has been pedagogical, he smiles and says he likes my name, CP1, Critical Pedagogue 1 acknowledging how appropriate it was, or it was for words on cage. He encouraged me with great enthusiasm to speak from the heart so I can touch hearts. He assures me that power and paradigm shifts when hearts and minds of grassroots citizens are enlightened. Dr. Roy adds, in quote, our lives and journeys are beacons of light, in quote. My father used to be real big on uh, Plato, and he used to read to me the Republic. 
And my favorite chapter for some reason was about these kids that was locked up. They were slaves inside of a cave. And they were uh, giving like certain images and these images was clouding these children's mind, generations of these children's mind to the point they was in like a deep sleep or inactive within society. And then they said that the goddess of wisdom came and awoken one. And they taught him or her the mystery of what was behind the siege. And that person was released into society to lead the children through academic or educational systems. So when Dr. Roy comes in with a book talking about critical pedagogy and talking about that we are pedagogues and we are those who must think critically, we are those who must change the narrative and flip the narrative, we must challenge the script that we were given. And he said, don't make a messiah or a savior out of me. You know, you all will save yourselves. You have what it takes. But you must change and challenge the narrative. So myself and a yard of the thousand men came together to produce this book, Words Uncaged Human. And you have to understand this one thing about a narrative. It was a certain kind of narrative that created mass incarceration. It was a certain kind of script. It was certain kind of images and ideas that was placed upon the wall of media and entertainment. And the child in us, our imaginations, took those out and it lured us to sleep. And now we have a society today with thousands of homeless people. We have a society today with millions of incarcerated folk. But then we do have the same kind of society that allows us to come out here and speak. And speak. In court, I wasn't allowed to speak. Because if I spoke and told my story, my two court defendants would have went to the death penalty. So for 30 years, I had to hold my voice until Bethan Roy came and said, bro, we're going to allow you to speak. And I've been speaking ever since. But it can't shut me up. So uh, we thank you for attending today and giving us an opportunity to share ourselves with you. We come from a place where I'm looking at my young bro, George, uh, those words are real life. This young man was a child, a teenager, a young teen, 12, 13, 14 years old in the shoe program. You know, you have no, imagine with the, the pain, the suffering, the beating, the broken bones of a young child who dared to write down his feelings on toilet paper with rocks. You should hear his story, how he would sneak a rock in and hide it. And through black eyes and split lips, he would write his story. Now here he is today, coming with his little horns, covered his little hair, covered his horns and his tattoo. He just came for work, lifting boxes after being denied. Our sister comes in here just so fly and eloquent and powerful to tell our story. So uh, we are honored and we're privileged to be here with you today. We thank you, uh, we thank Dr. Roy, we thank all who come to, to honor us in this space, we thank our brother. And uh, when he says about uh, helping us write, you know, that's like one of the most sacred things you have to do because we have to fear no judgment. We're used to being judged and critiqued, so we have to be fully honest and fully vulnerable. These are things that you don't want to be in prison. 
And so when we are able to give our rawest and most intimate and embarrassing moments to our brother and he's able to help us put it in script, you know, that's another validation of not only uh, our humanity, but we are more than just human beings in my evaluation. These bodies are going to go back to the earth like the earth itself. But we are beings of spirit and light, and that lasts forever. So we have a universal and a, I'm talking about unlimited potential as people. And I believe we're honestly going to change the world. Thank you. All right, is there, are there any questions? Anybody have any questions out there? Yes. Response for that, George? Want to go out there? Yeah. I mean, um, well, you know, there's there's a lot of programs, right, for for inmates, ex-cons that come out and stuff like that. You got Homeboys Industry. You got us. You know, ARC and stuff. They provide. You know, but it's, it's, I feel like it's me personally, you know, we may have different opinions, you know, how we think we could set a change. But as for me, like, I think it's more than just money, more than providing uh, images of this, this could be you type of thing, you know what I'm talking about? That's not why I changed, you know, just telling me what could be. That wasn't why I changed, you know. I just feel like it's more like a sense of, um, like, I felt like I didn't belong at one point, you know? I felt like what I had tattooed on my face was more real than, than my real, than my birth name, than the mother, than the name my mother gave me, you know? So I feel like it's more like just trying to just break these, I'd say, ridiculous stereotypes and just basically actually hearing, just hearing what we all got to say, you know, what I'm, you know what I mean? Because we will all ask for something differently. Everybody, every ex-con would tell you something different. I need this. I feel like I'll do better like this, you know? And, and I feel like just listening, just actually just actually sitting there and, 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 and acknowledging the scars. Like as I've always, I, that's my favorite wording, the scars, you know? And just actually acknowledging it and just hearing, hearing us, you know? Just actually showing that you care, you know? That, that, that society does care, that it's not like they always say, the uh, the the men the menace the menaces the the predators in in society you know it's it's those type of titles that basically crush 
that crushed me. You know, I didn't even feel human at one point. I just felt so vicious. I was a child too, so it was just ridiculous how how stereotypes could just really transform you into something. Stereotypes itself, not just not the experience that you have on the streets, just that word following you no matter what. It's just incredible what it could really turn you into. You may not be a monster, but just because you, you know you're you, you you may like I said the stereotypes. It just you believe it, you know. I was like, all right, you think I'm a you think I'm a demon? I'll really show you what a demon could be. That was my mentality, you know. Like, oh, right, you keep denying me doors. You keep telling me no. I couldn't even. I felt like I couldn't even walk down Beverly Hills at all. I really felt like that, you know? So I was like, you know what? Then I'm gonna really make you now, I'm gonna really make that unwelcoming real, you know? I'm gonna give you a reason for me not to really be there, you know? So I just say just listening. That's the first step. Of course, the programs and trying to get, but you know, sometimes men, women, I I, I, I found it on my own. I've been out for, I'd say five months now, going to six. I struggled a lot. I, I was I was paranoid. I couldn't be on the streets. I, I still had jail routines that I had to demolish. I wake up to do burpees, and I had to catch myself. My dad, my my own father, will come out and be like, "What what are you doing? It's like four in the morning, <laughs> you know." And I'm and I'm over here doing jail burpees. I don't know if you guys know what that are. There's jail workouts, specifically jail workouts. And it was just horrible, you know. I felt depressed. I felt hopeless. I refused to join. I don't know. I just felt hopeless, you know. Nobody was listening, you know. And I, that's how I felt. Of course, I had my 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 peoples, you know. But within me, I I I just I felt defeated. I had a, but as a man, I, as a young man, I was like, I gotta do it. You know, I I, I want to go to apply. I kept trying. I have felonies. They were they were shutting down doors for me. So, so I think it's just just listening. You know, poetry gave me the it was 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 a reminder. And I was like, just knowing that people were actually hearing my story and actually <laughs> seeing what I'm going through till now, because I'm not no Hollywood success story. You know, I'm still in the gutter. I'm still struggling every day. I just Ubered it right here. You know. I usually, you know, it's real. And I don't even got that much money to be Ubering it, you know, <laughs> at all. But I do what I do because I believe in this. I really do. You know, it's my heart, and I spoke my heart. I just literally spoke my heart to you, and it's okay. At, at one part, at one point, I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> there's, there's no way to do that. So listening, that's what I think. It, it, it's it's I'd say it it really changed a lot of things because I see it like a mission. You know, I'm not just speaking for me. There's thousands. I mean, thousands of thousands of kids in West LA, East LA, South Central, South East LA, all right, uh, Hispanic, African American, that are those demons right now. They are what I was when I was 11. There's a lot of those kids right now, and I know they feel exactly how I felt. You know, they those kids just want to be heard, you know? They don't got a mom or a dad.
Thank you, bro. To speak directly to what you ask, you know, homelessness is multidimensional. It's no like one answer that can be given, but it's kind of quite quite personal uh, with me. One of my young brothers just was relieved. They took him to the wine guard. Wine guard is on skid roll. So as I'm going to pick up this young man, I see two families walking on the side of the street. One black woman with three children. She's beriding her little six to five-year-old son because he can't carry the bag quick enough. So she's calling him all kind of mean names, cussing him and fussing him. So I asked my young brother, how many more times are we going to just ride by and see these families without us standing out to try to do something? So just to answer your question directly. So I got off and tried to talk to her first. And she, she berided me, I'm not homeless. I'm amongst these people right here. I got some place to stand. She talks to me real crazy. I get in the car and ask my brother, what does he think? He got out at 17, he did 15 years, he's 32. He says, shame brings about denial and denial brings about hostility. So we kept riding Then I seen another mother with five children, five. The oldest 10, the youngest three months. I asked her her name, she told me her story. And I promised her, I promised her that it was the 4th of July weekend as many were celebrating, eating barbecue and doing else we do. I told her, I promised you, you wasn't gonna live on the streets tonight. And she said, I'm escaping from the shelter because it's nasty, it's filthy, and it's predators trying to kidnap my kids. So all the women you're seeing running from the shelter we're trying to escape during daylight so we can find a place to hide at night. So when you ask me about homelessness, I have a homeless family living with my woman right now. You know, I didn't even want to tell Badan, he'll get nervous. Yes. I went inside my community, Lemur Park, and I told the business owners there what was going on. So we raised $1,000 to put up in hotel to hotel. The money runs out. So I tell them, I'm going to go put her back on the street where I found her. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Where the hell you think she going to go? Shit, I'm on parole. I'm in transition. Homelessness. 50% of homeless people are previously incarcerated people. George, Joanna, me, can be homeless. We have an office. On the Los Angeles side of the office is big old buildings being built and skyscrapers. On the other side, they have strategically pushed all these people into this little area. 
So when you ask me about homelessness, yes, my bro said you got to listen. The answer to homelessness is not lied up in these big old buildings with these people discussing. You must go talk to homeless people. And you have to listen. Then we have to be honest about how they became homeless in the first place. It's not cookie cut. I was raised in Crenshaw. That's where I hang out at. Six o'clock every night, you got cars that strategically park with full families because of predatory leasing and all these old different BS that took place in the banking system and housing system. Took their mortgages and now all these women are on the streets because the men left. So now you have women in, in, in cars sleeping. But now it's a crime to sleep in those cars now. So now they're booting the cars and they're, taking, they're putting these women on the street. So if you're asking for an answer for homelessness, oh my goodness. You know, we have more homeless people here in Los Angeles than almost anywhere. Mm. Okay, can I ask you this? And I'm, I'm forcing to sit in meetings. I'm not going to say what meetings it are because I don't need them saying I uh, blasphemed the meeting. This became a concern in my area when they put that metro rail going through there. And they put 10 billion inside the mall. Okay? And they said this rail is going to uh, the new stadium. And we don't need homeless people on the rail or around the stadium. LeBron has probably, and that's my bro. I love you, LeBron. No disrespect, bro. LeBron is here and he's promising us a ring. The Clippers will be building a stadium by. So this is not about we give a damn about homeless people. You are a black eye upon our streets, so we have to get you off. So first of all, we have to readdress as a society and the people how we view people. Thus human. I'm going on that. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Any more questions? Originated, well, it originated on A Yard in Lancaster State Prison. Um, Dr. Badan Roy over here, he's uh, one of the professors at Cal State LA in the English department. He was, uh, I don't know exactly how you got into Lancaster. Was it through the PAWS, the PAWS program? So the PAWS program is a, is a program where uh, the men at Lancaster Prison got to train pit bulls. And Dr. Roy was uh, was affiliated with that program uh, at this point in the past. And uh, he met the men there, and he realized that there was this amazing group of men on A-Yard. And they, with <laughs> Tobias included here, and they wanted something for this personal growth. Yeah, do you want Yeah, to give you a first-hand experience. Uh, Yes, it came through Pause for Life. He, he adopted a dog. The bros who are part of Pause for Life invited me to that space. He was doing writing workshops, getting us more in tune with our feelings and emotions and be able to articulate ourselves in an academic setting. I couldn't stand school for various reasons. That goes on to him being able to, with another team, get us a higher education, college inside of the prison. This man right here. 
he wanted to go a step really further because he really believed that we're going to destroy the prison system, period. He wants to top it. He said, we're going to create an organization and we're going to put ourselves out of business. And when we're out of business, we know that we have quelled the system. So what happened was he challenged me and a group of men to one, to be willing to imagine and believe. He said, me and the, uh, the grad students will take care of the corporate side. We have a bunch of strategic partners where our young bro just named other organizations that brought the publicity forth to give people like me a chance to go before the governor and the board to speak. But on the grassroots level, it was through critical pedagogy, it was through a professor who believed in us, it was through a professor's woman or wife who believed in him that allowed him to come see us for hours at a time. Uh, so when you ask how did this come about and what we do, this is breeding hope. It's saying that we have a voice. We have to cultivate that voice. We have to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, which are normally educational situations. And then we started to produce uh, writings, and not only writings and poems, but also art. And this art was being shown to the world through, thir uh, through various agencies. Cal State University was one. It started getting the publicity of the CEOs in, in, in Silicon Valley and all these kind of inferential people who talk to the governor and say these men deserve a chance. These men was me and a very small group of men that opened it up for a larger group. So that's what Words in Cage we do. We give voice, bro. We have an office that men and women and offer their voice and we highlight their voice to humanity. We're avatars to men and women behind the wall. Now, while well, we bless in which he spoke to, to be able to go into the prison in which I was at 20 years, and the warden has done something very courageous. He has actually uh, told us he would like for us to apply our programs and whatever we're doing out here into an institution so he can change his institution. So now we're really about to get active behind the wall, bro. So I hope we was able to answer your question. He's a great orator. He's a gift, yeah. Any other questions? Questions for anybody? No? <laughs> great. All right. If, <laughs> I was about to say, if there aren't any other questions, we have a few books here that are, are can be purchased. So if you... Uh, would like a copy, please get one. Um, yes, please. Where are we doing this next? Well, you could find out at uh, Words Uncaged on Instagram at, at Words Uncaged. And oh, yes. I I didn't mention it because they actually. They contacted me on Instagram for posting, and then they told me not to post it yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so Hauser and Worth, we're going to be there next week um, on Saturday and Sunday. It's from 11 to 6, and uh, we're going to have a booth there, and Dr. Roy and Tobias are going to be speaking at 1 p.m. Um, so it'll be posted on our, on our Instagram and also on theirs tomorrow. That's when they're going to post it. Um, and you'll you'll find any information you want on upcoming events on the Instagram. Yeah. And we have a website as well at uh, wordsuncaged.com. Okay. Thank you for coming. And uh
Please buy a book. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.